Sharing the Gospel, part four, fourth lesson in this really important topic, really the most important of topics about sharing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I remind you of something that you already know. Um, This represents our purpose for being. And we think about why are we even here? Um, You say to raise a family. Uh, True. Uh, You say to work well and to have influence in people in the workplace. Um, I would say that that's true. Um, Should we be here to sing praises as we did earlier. As a matter of fact, that was a great set of songs. Everything just sounded really wonderful, and your voices were great as well. Um, Absolutely, we're here that we would praise the Lord. Uh, That is, in fact, our purpose. But there is really an ultimate purpose. All of that has one end, Um, to sing praises to his name that stimulates us to think about God and who he is um, from God's word. Uh, It should renew our mind. It should instruct us. Uh, When we fellowship, even as we did moments ago, we encourage one another, even if it's ever so briefly, uh, that should encourage us in the faith Then, for an ultimate reason, an ultimate end. And the end is to share the gospel. It really is. Everything is pointed in that direction. And some people have even misunderstood even the life of this church, and they think about it, and it's uh, vast uh, reach even around the world, and they think, well, it's such a great teaching ministry. And in fact, it is that, but the end of the great teaching is that people can be equipped to share the what? The gospel. That's why. That's the point of practice. If we think about this from uh, an athletic standpoint, uh, my way back in some days before things didn't ache as much as they do right now, when I played football, the point of practice was for a game, was it not? Two a days, and I remember at times playing and practicing in some very humid, humid weather and thinking to myself, I'm going to collapse. But in the end, you look forward to the game. It's worth it for the game. I could imagine if the coach were to come to us and say, you know what? You guys have done well. What an excellent practice. Um, I'll see you next week for practice. And if you came to us again and said, you guys have done so well, only a few of you have collapsed, I'll see you next week for a practice. And he kept saying, practice, 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 but no game. I would walk away. I don't enjoy practice for the sake of practice. I enjoy practice for preparation for a game. And so when we think about our Christian lives, we go through the rigors of study, we go through the rigors of disciplining ourselves for an ultimate reason, and that is to share the what? That's why we're here. That's our purpose for existence even. You say, wait a minute. Uh, The scripture tells us the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and your mind and your soul. And the second is like it is to love your neighbor as yourself. That's our purpose, isn't it? Uh, Hold on. Hold on. I love God. And if I'm a love of God, I want others to do what? Be lovers of God. I want to tell others about God. And if I'm really a lover of God, I cannot possibly not share the gospel with other people because that's our purpose, to share the gospel. I want to continue to remind you of some statistics. And and I remind you again that every year around the globe, you may remember some of them by now, I, I bring them to your attention every week, 65 million people pass into 
So that's about um, 1.25 million per week, 178,000 per day, 7,400 and some change, 70, actually 7,440 per day, 124 people per minute pass into eternity. They will meet their maker globally. In the U.S., uh, annually, 2.8 million people will meet their maker 54,000 a week, 7,700 a day, 322 an hour, 5.3 people per minute. I'm going to preach, probably teach uh, about 45 minutes. And right now, think about that. 5.3 people will die in the U.S. in the time in which I preach this message. How many will go into eternity to meet their maker? And I remind you again, Jesus Christ was incredibly clear about uh, eternity, passing into eternity, and he said this, there are two roads, are there not? And someone, uh, all of you tell me, what are the two roads? What are they like? There is a broad road and there is a narrow road. How many people find the narrow road? Few. So that tells us then of globally of the 64 million people that pass into eternity, few are on the narrow road. And you have a responsibility to share the gospel with them. And that's why even in the first message, we talked about you being a watchman. You have a responsibility. And that responsibility is is so sober that the word of God would tell us even that if we do not share the gospel with someone, if we do not warn them spiritually of consequences, that their blood is on our hands. And this is why Paul said in Acts 20, when he, the elders at Ephesus, he says, I am free from the blood of all men, of all men, sorry, of all men, because I have not done what? I have not held back sharing the whole gospel. Think about that. So the implication is obvious. Had I not shared the whole gospel, I would not be free of the blood of all men. It would be a bearing on my conscience but my conscience is clear because I've shared all of the word of God. Now, there are people, obviously, that we share the word of God with them, and they do what? They say no to it, do they not? They reject it. Even Jesus Christ himself, he came to his own, and his own what? Received him not. And he spoke truth, and they picked up stones to do what? To stone him. So just because we share doesn't mean that that person is going to come to faith but we do have the responsibility. No one, if we could think about transition uh, into eternity, no one should be able to say to the Lord, uh, and it would be an invalid excuse anyway for other theological reasons, but for the point of this point that I'm making here, uh, if they were to say, you know, Lord, I would have come, but my neighbor who attended Grace Church and was in a fellowship group and he went to Lagos classes, he never shared with me. I would have responded. I would have responded. But, you know, that, that person uh, that's a deacon or an elder or a pastor, they saw me all the time. And they never told me about Jesus Christ. Hmm. Now, ultimately, a person cannot make that excuse because they're all culpable before God. Because the heavens are declaring the what? the glory of God. Men do what to the truth? They suppress the truth. They do. They suppress it. But nonetheless, there is this interesting part of our responsibility 
it says we are nonetheless responsible for sharing the gospel. We are. This is our calling. And so we must go about it. And so even when we think about, again, these statistics that I want to keep in front of you, um, it's been two weeks since uh, I preached. And in two weeks, that means around the globe, um, 356,000 people have met their maker. In the United States, 15,400 people have met their maker. And the most of them without the covering of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there are people even on this campus that don't know the Lord. I often pray, pray uh, and the men can tell you in our elders meeting, I often will pray for those that are on this campus um, that their eyes will be open even. And that's what's in one sense sort of frightening when you think about the reality of a person suppressing the truth and it will be addressed at some point in time. Bill will address it in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, that those people will come into eternity and they will say before the Lord, 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 did we not in your name? And what will be the response of the Lord Jesus Christ? So God himself will say what to them? What will he say? I never knew you. Wait a minute. Because the person is saying, look at my resume of religious affections. Look at the diligence which I showed myself for the period of time that I was on earth. But he says, I never knew you, which means there will be people on this campus. And and I pray that the number is few. I wish it were none, but uh, life experience and and my theological training tells me that that's not the case. Uh, And volunteers and people that help at Shepherds Conference and who attend this church or who have been here for 30 years or 40 years, who have been faithful attenders and will wake up one day Oh, Lord, on the wrong side of eternity. And this should motivate you to be a gospel witness. I want to clarify something before I give you the points that are before us this morning. I said something last week about the church or two weeks ago about the church and and even here at Grace Community Church and what we're called to do. And I mentioned how at times there are people who will actually call in. And if John MacArthur is not preaching, then they decide they won't come. And I made the statement, whoa, I have a problem with that. I do. And I would say John MacArthur has a problem with that if you understand John. Because what you hear from him constantly, I love the church. I love the Christ of the church. You don't pour your heart into a ministry all those many years that he has and into the future so that people simply dial in and say, well, if he's not teaching, then I'm not coming. That breaks a true minister's heart. I want you to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not pouring myself into you so that you can follow me. One day I will pass into eternity myself. Now we're hoping it's, you know, 30, 40 years from now. At the ripe old age of like 122. <laughs> Amen. Let's go back to sort of kind of around the noetic days, right? <laughs> Let's reverse the curse for a moment. <laughs> but that won't be the case most likely. We should have an affection for God. Because he is the one that sacrificed for you. Affection for the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one that bled for you and died for you. He is the one, according to Matthew 10 and 45, he did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for for many. 
Now what am I to do? To be a follower of him. So this is what we're going to do. You know, I told you before that there were these expectations of the faith. And why are we talking about expectations? Because Christianity is calling us to be different and even radically different than we were before. People often say, well, we should not have expectations whatsoever. And I've, I've heard this in, even in biblical counseling. And, and I, would probably, I would not probably, I do take issue with it. Um, I think you have expectations. It's clear you have expectations. But the question is whether, how you adjust to the expectations. When That's the question. That's so we can understand biblically where we are. So is it wrong for a husband to expect a wife to submit? The word of God says it. Or even for a wife to ex- expect a husband to love her or for a, a parent to expect the kids to obey them and for a child to expect a father in particular not to exasperate them. Sure, they can have those expectations. But with all of us, what is going to happen? We will all do what? Fail. So the question is, when we fail, how do we respond? And this will demonstrate where we are as far as our Christian level of maturity. And so God has expectations of us. He expects us to live a radically different life than we lived prior to knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in sharing the gospel, let me make sure you understand this. We cannot, with all of those expectations that God has of us, share them all with a person. There may be moments, and I've talked to you often and when I'm in my travels, and it's an Uber driver or a Lyft driver, and, and I have maybe 10 minutes or maybe it's 15 minutes, and I approach that conversation and, and generally ask if they think about religion at all and what sort of religion is it, is it. And I get to the matter of Jesus Christ, who he is, their need for Christ, and their need for repentance. And that Jesus Christ is singularly the only person that can bridge this gap between their sinful condition and a holy God. Now, do I go through all of these things that I'm going to talk about in this week and the next week um, based on the amount of time I have? I may touch on some of them because I feel like the person's resisting one of these expectations that God has of them. And several weeks ago, I said that there were 16 sort of biblical expectations, and that's not exhaustive by any means. There are other expectations one can have, and in some of them you could perhaps merge them into one or or even less. Um, let me give them to you. Not all 16, trust me. Not all. Um, because I want you to, we're going to take this week and the next to talk about them. Number one is this, following God. Following God. And, and I would say this, and I would challenge Anyone to show me in the scriptures where either the prophets, the apostles, the authors of scripture, or Christ did not communicate that our faith is a call to live differently, to live radically for God. And it really is impossible. I mean, when you take into account, uh, it's the only honest conclusion. When you take into account these clear commands, illustrations, instructions, and exhortations from Scripture, that God expects his children to live as his children. Does he not? Uh, we, I have said to my kids, you know, growing up, that um, there are expectations we have in our home. 
Um, and it's, I think it's right to have some expectations in your home. And of course, with those expectations, there's a need for grace and a need to forg- for forgiveness and mercy because they won't be met. And here's the reality. Even the expectations that you have for your home, you don't always meet. Is that not true? Well, you should say that louder because you know it's true. <laughs> yes, indeed. You don't meet them. We expect our kids to live by a certain name. And I've told you this before, but I, I, remind, I think I have, I, I, but I remind again, uh, because um, I, my dad, um, a lot of my features from dad, um, some of it's sort of uncanny in one sense. I still remember a picture that I found of him uh, many years ago when he was actually in Korea and he's, on a, uh, he's holding an automatic weapon and he just got through, I forget where they've been fighting, I think it was Pusan, and, and he's holding in a certain way. And when I was in ROTC in college and I had an M16 and I was holding in a certain way and I had no, I'd never seen the picture before. I'd never seen it before. And my sister, who's sort of the, the historian of the family, found the picture and he showed it to me. And I said, wait a minute. And I looked at this picture and I looked at mine. And I thought, this is uncanny. I mean, we both had this same lean like this. I'm on the leg was the same way. We had this same swagger about us. All the his was real. Mine was preparatory, right? <laughs> and I thought, how is that possible? I never saw that before. You could tell, like, if, if the kid, if I'd seen it, yeah, this is how dad does it. I'll do it the same way. Like kids, they put on your shoes, right? This is how dad walks. I'd never seen it before. This is a part of him in me, if you will. God is in us. The Holy Spirit resides in us, and he calls us to live a certain way. And even with some of my features, people would see me, and they would ask, are you a Hargrove? Well, how did you know? Oh, yes, I know. (laughs) And that was good and bad. You you know where I'm going, don't you? (laughs) That was good and bad in the sense that, well, hey, you've done a good job. Your dad would be proud of you. And at times when I was a smaller type, Hargrove, your dad would not like that. I'm going to tell him, oh, it's busted. Are you not? Are we not? And people look to us, and it should be, your heavenly father would be proud of you. Oh, your heavenly father, this is not in line with him. See, we are called to be followers of God. Look at Luke 9. And we're to call to be followers, to live differently because we now have a relationship with him and we should do this with joy, not begrudgingly. Like if this is what Christianity calls, I suppose that I'll do it, but there should be a joy of being a follower of God, living differently for God. Because even when a practical standpoint, we think about it, what is it that we want from the past? What is it that would be so attractive that we would want to go back to it? They say, you know what? Let's be like the people you remember uh, in the Exodus the people of old, what did they want? As they went out to the wilderness, they thought, wait a minute, let, let us go back to Egypt and be slaves. It's amazing what people will substitute for their freedoms. To be a follower of God, Luke 9, 23 says this, and he was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must first do what? Deny himself and do what? Take up his cross daily and do what? Follow me. This is a starting point for the Christian journey. And we are people called to do what? To emulate the life of God, to deny the life of the past, and be willing to pay any 
costs necessary so that we might properly emulate, emulate our God, to be a follower of God, to give him all that we have, because he has surely given all to us. And it means this, to be a, a follower of God means sacrificing. And I would say even the most precious earth relationships that one has for some eternal, and it outshines anything on this earth. And we might even say immeasurably. What can we compare and say, Lord, I gave this up. I'm having second thoughts. Now, let's pause for a moment. Um, When all of us do go back to our former habits, and sometimes we do, we do act in the flesh. At times we do. We are saying, I prefer this than things eternal. I prefer the temporary and not the things that are everlasting. I I prefer false promises instead of validated truths from God's word. To be a follower of God means a willingness to forsake the sin that once bound you. To be a follower of God means that there is a willingness to identify with even the meek of the world. To be a follower of Christ means that you set aside any person, promise, and the treasures of this life for one purpose and one purpose only, and it is this, to glorify God. Whereas before, our lives were just the opposite. It was not to glorify God. It was in some way, in some means, even if small, but I know that really doesn't exist. It was huge. It was large, the ways in which we sought to satisfy self, and particularly those of us who came to the Lord later in life. Yes, um, even with a new grandchild, I'm praying for his soul already, and I pray that the Lord might open his eyes as early as possible so that he doesn't have to, like his granddad, live a portion of his life apart from God. Now, you understand what I mean, apart from God. I mean uh, knowingly apart from God that he has no track, that he has no history. This should be our prayer, to live for the glory of God. Are you a follower of God? And that means if we're a follower of God, it means that we identify with him. And this is what's so even atrocious about uh, the prosperity, and there are many things that are atrocious about it, but look, let me give you one, uh, about the prosperity perversion. They would say, the scripture would say, we're to be followers of Christ, and they would say, yes, followers of Christ, but they want to identify only with this kingly part of him. When I say kingly, I mean, in a sense, the romantic kingship that they think about. What do you mean romantic kingship? Well, if I'm a child of the living God, if I'm a child of the king, it means that I should be in the palaces of a king. And so you have some of these crackpots um, Want to tell us, and that's what they are. I'm, I'm just thinking by way of Jeremiah. Uh, it's they're, they're crackpots, is what they are. That want to tell you, even one that says, "Well, that's why I need a private jet because I can't fly with these other, you know, hoi polloi's or whatever you want to call them." Right? Uh, what is economy? I don't know what economy is. Uh, now, business is nice, <laughs> and at times I do fly enough, and I've you know received an upgrade. I said, "That's what life is like up here," right? That's pretty nice. But I would, if it meant taking me uh, a steamboat over to Africa when I go in July and, and 
again in December, I would do it. If I had to hitchhike and I knew the Lord wanted me to go there, I would do it. Identify with Christ, and he was, mo- he, was, he was meek, and he was lowly. Identify. Here's the second thing we need to think about in expectation. So we share the gospel. We're telling them, will you be a follower of Christ? Deny self. Live by certain rules and standards. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and then we'll take a look. Actually, just put your finger in Philippians 3, because I'll sort of look at them right after one another. So we have to live in a way that is ordered by certain rules or standards. We talk about expectations. So the question is, um, on what basis do we have the expectations? And see, that's another important thing to even think about expectations, even in counseling someone or even in your own, own soul. When you think about relationships and what expectations do you have, the question is, who created the expectation? On what basis do you have this expectation? Is it biblically driven? Are biblical principles behind the expectation? And so we hindered. Some have misunderstood the grace of God and want to say, well, there is no rule or standard for us to live by. Of course there is. Clearly prescribed throughout Scripture. There's order to the Christian life. Notice what he says um, in 924. Do you not know those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may do what? 25, everyone who competes in the game exercises self-control in all things. Then they then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So we have to run not without aim, not beating the air, No, we discipline ourselves so that when preaching to others, we would not be disqualified. So if I'm going to be disqualified, the implication is clear. There must be what? Rule standards. Yes. We can think of sporting events where someone violated the rule and they may have been crowned the champion until it was discovered that there was a violation and they're stripped. Someone can be even in the midst of a game competing. No, you're stripped. When even I ran track, there was uh, uh, at the starting blocks a false start. And generally you had one chance for a false start. And you go back to the blocks again. And if that same person false started again, you're out of the race. Rules, standards. In a certain relay, you had to remain in that lane for a period of time. If you cross into the other lane, a rule or standard, you're out. And when it comes to Christianity, he says there are rules and standards for which you to live by. Look at Philippians chapter 3. Philippians 3. And what is this? Uh, Verse 15, we'll start there. Because Paul is saying we should be straining towards this upward call. We press towards it. We forget what's behind. We reach forward to what's ahead. And then he says in verse 15. 15, let us therefore as many as are perfect have this attitude, and if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that to you also. However, let us keep living by the same standard to which we have attained. We have been called to live a new life, and now there are perimeters set for us to demonstrate that new life while we're here on this earth. Make sure that you maintain it. Now, when we look around in society, 
will say this, although society increasingly prides itself in sort of, we'll say, disavowing moral absolutes in its set lines for living, the faith clearly has a prescribed way in how we're to live. I mean, society is forever moving towards moral relativism, isn't it? I mean, it's certainly dangerous. And why is it dangerous? It's dangerous because its source is humanism. And can we trust humanism? Absolutely not. Why? We can't trust humanism because of its authorship. Authorship. What do you mean by that? The authors of moral relativism are flawed creatures. And since they're flawed, their standard that they devise will, in fact, also be what? Flawed. We can't trust it. It's changing every day. Um, This month, uh, and it breaks my heart to think about it, is uh, going through traveling through the airports, um, advertisements. Um, you get on social media, they will feed it to you. Looking for it um, is LGBTQ plus Pride Month. I'm on the plane, and, and they're saying, well, this is what playing this month. And they had just a whole category, Pride, and movies and programs and documentaries that were supporting it. And the more I think about this, uh, I'm saddened by it. There's some people who are just outraged by it. And there is the hardness of heart that man can show even towards his fellow man. And I believe it was actually this weekend, which is uh, the anniversary of um, when 49 people were slaughtered in a, a gay bar in South Miami. I think it was in South Beach area. 49. Now, there's some extremists, which I would purposely distance myself from, who say, well, it served them right, because they were not serving the Lord properly. They weren't living up to his expectations. Um, You said there were 16 of them, and they surely are violating them. No, 49 people that you come in and just start shooting them randomly. So we have the wickedness of a lifestyle. Indeed, we do, and we can still say that but you have the wickedness of taking someone's life into your own hands. I can have a disdain for this sense of having, uh, and by no means ever supporting Pride Month, but at the same time, I think as a minister of the gospel, I have compassion for a soul that if they live that way and they wake up on the other side of eternity, it's darkness. So then what do we share the gospel with? Whom, to whom do we share the gospel then? <laughs> oh, let's share the gospel with those people that look like us and think like us and dress like us. No, you share the gospel with those who are unlike you, who are in need of the gospel. What did Jesus Christ say? Well, wait a minute. What? A physician is needed for whom? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, doctor, has anyone ever come to you and said, you know, I'm perfectly well, everything is fine, my body is wonderful, but I just thought I'd come to see you. Well, they might, because you're a good guy, right? <laughs> Let's go out to lunch. But generally not, something's wrong. Can you fix this? Can you mend this? I, I never have gone to an ER and to urgent care and show up and say, you know, I, everything's wonderful with me. <laughs> I just thought I'd love to just kind of tour the facilities. <laughs> what? Then they're like, you really are. No, you need the other ward. <laughs> we can't help you at ER. There's a straight jacket waiting on you somewhere, right? 
That's <laughs> the sick. And as a Christian, be careful. And I say to you, because we all believe clearly pronounced declarations from God's word about how we're supposed to live. But I say to you, be careful that your heart doesn't become callous towards your mission field. He came to his own. They didn't receive him. But also you can say this as well. He came to save what? Sinners. Not for that person who's well. He didn't come for that person. And I would say this, anyone who realizes what they've been saved from should have a compassion for those that are still under the wrath of God. People who do not appreciate their own salvation, who, do not, who have not come to grips with their own, the grace of God in their life, will become indifferent to sinners. Don't become indifferent to sinners. I can still have a disdain for it, but at the same time have compassion for them. And if you don't have a compassion for them, you've lost the heart of God. Um, Authorship, we can't trust it. It's flawed. Um, There are rules and standards that we must, must live by. We were coming from Crater Lake and didn't have, when we got up to the highest point, really, we got up to about 7,300 feet. There was beautiful snow there, and it actually snowed that day. Uh, we missed it. We were, we were driving up, and we think, oh, no, it's drizzling. It was uh, gray skies, and we just thought, let's trust it. And we kept going, and it just where we were at that elevation. See, beneath you, these clouds, and they were sort of coming in, but where we were just picture perfect, beautiful. We're coming down, and we're thinking, now we have to go back to the airport to get back. And we had no, the GPS service wasn't there for us. So I think, I know I need to get uh, down here to the 62, the 140, but I'm not sure. I know I need to go west, southwest, but how to connect, I'm not quite sure. So we were going, and the service wasn't working. I'm still driving, and, and I'm driving along, and all of a sudden, um, it, I said, this doesn't seem right. Something's wrong. And you could tell it was going back and forth. And wait a minute, I said, we've been by here before. I remember those cows. Literally, I said that. <laughs> I remember them. And we're going by, and I said, something's wrong. We should be going southwest and thinking, over those mountains, that's, that's the west, and we've got to go south to get to Medford. And finally, the GPS kicked in. And we, we did a turn, we, we got going, and everything was fine. And I thought about that for a moment. I had this internal compass that was telling me, this is not right. I know the technology is saying that this is not right. God has given us an internal compass. And what we do with that, men suppress it. Uh, that's Romans 1. But the believer, we have a new compass that's been reset. Amen? And this is why the scripture tells us that you, should, you have the mind of Christ and also tells us to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And this is what Paul is saying, that now I'm striving towards something. I'm pressing towards the mark. I'm leaving the other things behind. And that internal compass pulls us in a new direction. Because the world can mislead us, cannot? Well, can. It's this whole purpose is to mislead us. And we can be, wait a minute, I've been here before. 
Here's something else. I'm going to do this out of order, okay? Is that all right? Sure it is. Um, go to 1 Peter 3, 1 Peter 4. I'm going to come back to the others, but 1 Peter 4. Because it fits in here, and I'm going to close here. 1 Peter 4. Actually, do this. Go to 1 Thessalonians 4. Yeah, that's it. I'm testing your Bible flipping knowledge. Amen. Excel still more. Now, you can jot the others down because we, over the next couple of weeks, will come back to them. But I want to end here, and we'll come back. Excel still more. 1 Thessalonians 4.10. And it says what? Verse 9. Brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by, taught by God to love one another. For indeed, you do practice it toward all the brethren who are in Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, to do what? Excel still more. The Christian life has an expectation. What is this call here in 1 Thessalonians 4.10? It is a call to avoid Christian complacency. It is the expectation that since we are imperfect beings and as imperfect beings, we're striving to emulate perfection, are we not? And that perfection is God himself, this perfect standard. And every day in some measure we fall short. But we should all be thankful for the grace of God, shouldn't we? We have a goal in front of us. That's what Paul was saying in Philippians 3. I'm striving. My, my eyes are on the mark. I'm looking for this hold of me. Now I'm taking hold of it. And even that wording is so beautiful when he talks about reaching towards the mark. The word is beautiful in the language. It has this double preposition in front of it. Very curious in the, in the Greek language. A double preposition. Um, Epectonomenos. Beautiful. So when he says reaching towards it, it's this idea. So it's out and towards, he says. Strong language. Whenever you see an Olympian, there they are in the Olympic Games and maybe in that race and they're coming to that final stretch. You never see a person finish a race doing this, do you? They're pushing out. And proper technique is even actually this, throwing the arms back and the chest forward. So Paul says... You're to be that way, reaching forward. Paul says here, excel still more. Don't finish your race leaning. Excel more. You're following perfection. Therefore, since we're imperfect beings, there's always room for what? Improvement, is it not? Grow. We can never be content in our spiritual state. And remember now, contextually, the church at Thessalonica was a praiseworthy church, was it not? Unlike the churches of, we'll say, Galatian, totally confused about the gospel. Corinth, uh, all sorts of mischief that is happening with them. But yet, Thessalonica, praiseworthy, they had perfection in sight. But Paul says, yes, you have been taught well to love one another. He says, but more. He wants more of them. And that's what a good coach does. I want more of you. That's what a spiritual leader should do. I want more of you. Don't be satisfied. I ask you a question, even this morning, and I'm a bit uh, passionate right now. <laughs> what do you want? What do you want? Do you want more? 
Will you be complacent in your spiritual life? Will you take in all the resources that are available here to you and simply take in resources for the sake of it and not think about ways in which you can implement it in your life? What are you striving for? How do you want to be remembered? What will you leave behind? Even when we're away this weekend, we're driving, I forget, through some area in, in Oregon, and Joanna asked me, she says, so, um, we do frequently talk about the future, and she asked me, so where do you, where do you want to be in five years? I said, okay, wow, you, <laughs> and I gave her some answers, and it once December, and I gave her some answers, and, and I volunteered it back to her. How do you want to be remembered? What is it that you want to do in life? And if you were to pause right now, this moment in time here, June 13th, this morning, this room, hearing the word of God preached to you, that God is clearly telling you that you are to be a follower of him, that you are to deny self, take up your cross. What is it that you want in life? Will you be mediocre in your Christianity? Will you be complacent? Uh, will you take Paul's advice to the church at Thessalonica and excel what? Still more. And what's beautiful about it, he just doesn't say, well, just excel still more. So the implication is clear, isn't it? They were excelling because it was a pray congregation, but you can do better. Do you want better? You say, wait a minute, you're being a bit uh, too passionate about this. This is just a fellowship group. Um, lighten up a little bit. No, the word of God is open, is it not? And if the word of God is open, then hear it. And it's just me. See, there is no satisfying neutrality in Christianity. It doesn't exist. Can you find it in the person, uh, the example of your Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ? And it says of him, and he put his face like flint towards Jerusalem. I must finish my course. I always live my life, and I love this, pleasing him. Remember we said it's imperfection striving after perfection. Which means there's always more. I leave you with that question. What is it that you want in life? And you should want more, not only excellence in your life, you should also want more opportunity to fulfill your purpose in life, to be a person who is a witness of the gospel. You don't have to be an expert to share the gospel. You don't have to have a seminary degree, no letters behind your name to share the gospel. It's who you are. You're a living gospel. You share it by your life that's consistent with what you proclaim, and you also share with your words to others who are in need of hope. Whether it be the LGBTQ that's talking about their pride this month, and the scripture tells us they will not inherit the kingdom of God. Or whether it be that religious person who thinks that they know the Lord because of their moral excellence as to other men, but not as to God. Do you notice the difference? There are people who can live excellent moral lives in comparison to other men. 
but no one can in comparison to God because the scripture is clear, isn't it? For all have sinned and fall short of what? The glory of God. Father, we thank you for your words. You give us your goodness, grace, and mercy. Help us to live this Christian life. What a calling it is. And I pray that we would all excel still more. Thank you for those that are mature in the faith. I pray that they would desire more. Those that are maturing, satisfy their hunger. Those that um, don't know you, open their eyes so they can see Christ. Amen.